Hello, I'm Pastor Jason. So glad you've joined us today. Today's a big day. We're doing a number of things. First, we're celebrating All Saints Day. I wore one of my favorite saints with me today, St. Augustine. I've learned to appreciate him over the years. The other thing, it's the first Sunday of November. So it's No Shave November. I don't know if you're doing anything fun in the month of November, but I'd love to invite you to join me in participating in a No Shave November. Okay, those two things are kind of funny and goofy, but today we are going to get down to some real stuff because we're also coming to the end of our sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit. And today, as we've done all throughout this, this sermon series, we're going to hear Paul's words describing what the fruits of the Spirit are from Galatians, and then we're going to unpack what that last, what the, what the one we focus in on is going to be. And the, today we're looking at self-control. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like to invite you to join me in reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. There we hear these words, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, um, if we take a moment... And here, all those texts, we see that Paul's got a lot to say about a lot of different things. It comes down to the last fruit being that of self-control in this whole list of virtues. Self-control is the last one. If we back out with our telescope, if you can, or microscope, if you can, just a moment, we'll discover that Paul's list of virtues, Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit are within a broader context of a letter to the church in Galatia. One of the things that he's doing, that Paul is doing here within this, the broader context of this letter, is he's encouraging the, his listeners to <clears throat> live according to the law of the Spirit, the law that the Holy Spirit will write upon their hearts, or the Spirit of Jesus. One of the things he wants them to do, is encouraging the church to do, is to live according to how the Spirit would lead them. Secondly, he's saying that the way of the Spirit and all of these fruits that he's described in the last one of self-control is, is a fruit that is in contrast or in conflict with the normal way of living, the way of our sinful natures. That's one of the terms that Paul uses, that the fruit of the Spirit is in conflict with the sinful nature. And just a few lines before we hear his list of what the fruit of the Spirit is, Paul creates another list where he marks what the normal nature is or what the sinful nature of humanity is. And if you go to Galatians 5, 19 to 21, Paul will say there, we'll hear him say this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear, sexual immorality immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now the fruits of the Spirit are listed in contrast to these marks of the sinful nature. And if you're into math and counting up, you'll notice that in the first list, the marks of the normal nature, there's at least somewhere around 15 um, aspects that Paul lists as belonging to that nature. And then he only lists nine points for his fruits of the Spirit. Now, the disparity 
can be chalked up as St. Augustine or St. Jerome thought, that St. Paul didn't necessarily list an exhaustive um, nature of the fruits of the Spirit. There could be more than what he listed. Or it could be, as some others have suggested, that self-control is a category that is encompassing enough to be one that counters a number of things of our sinful nature. So that instead of drunkenness, there is the fruit of self-control. Instead of outbursts of anger, there's the fruit of self-control. Instead of hostility and quarreling, we have self-control. Instead of lustful pleasures or sexual immorality, there's self-control. Self-control is a prized virtue in countless world religions, worldviews, and systems of just trying to, to get ahead around the world. And oftentimes, we know this reality, this desire for self-control, because there are things in our own life that have spun out of control, and we go, I need to have a better aspect of control. Who among us have ever found our speech saying something too much and wishing that we could put words back from where they came? We know in that moment that we wished we had better control. Who among us has ever been out of control physically with our bodies, our arms, something, and has not caused some kind of physical or relational harm? Very few, I dare say seldom, has anyone ever gone through life and not said, I could use more control. Oftentimes, it's regret that propels us to being at a place where we long for more self-control. Or, and that tends to be on the negative side, positively, have you ever noticed, been around people of high achievement? Maybe you're a high achiever. One of the things that high achievers have is they have an ability to have significant amount of self-control in one or several areas of their life. And so self-control is a prized virtue. It's a goal that people who are religious or non-religious have, and they long to have more of. But even as we long for self-control, even as we find it valuable, there's another point that Paul makes that's really important for us to grasp fully, actually, about all of the fruits of the Spirit. And this is something uh, that we must pay attention to. Self-control, like all of the other things that Paul has mentioned, are indeed that. They are fruits of the Spirit. They are the outcomes of a life that is lived in the Spirit of God. They are a work of God's Spirit within us. And they are the fruit. Um, they're not our daily striving. They're not the ways in which we can keep the law. But they are the fruit that marks God's presence within us. And out of our life linked with God, here comes the fruit of the Spirit. A couple of months ago, I was doing some devotional work and I picked up the book of James and I opened it up and in the first chapter of the book of James, I found these words. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. For you know that when faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. As I read this text out of my mouth and, and uh, out of my mouth came these words, just this very visceral reaction. Who does that? I mean, come on, James. Who in the moment when trouble of any kind comes their way says, hooray, what a great opportunity. I am going to have joy today. 
from the smallest inconvenience to a massive life-altering disturbance, my first thought, maybe yours is, but my first thought is not, wow, what an opportunity for joy. Generally, my thought is in a whole other opposite direction. As I thought about that text, though, my mind went back to some of the other stories in, in Scripture. For instance, in Acts 16, Paul and Silas are making a visit to the city of Philippi. And when they get there and they meet a woman who's controlled by demons and also controlled by some other entrepreneurs who are taking advantage of her. Slaveholders, really, who are taking advantage of this woman. And Paul and Silas speak to her and she is delivered from the demon oppression that she's been facing and she's also delivered from uh, this point of slavery. And that does not sit well with the folks whose economic model has been upset. And so Paul and Silas end up being arrested, beaten, and imprisoned. But around midnight, Luke writes that Paul and Silas were praying and singing songs and hymns to God. And then a whole bunch of other stuff takes place. Like there's an earthquake, and their chains fall off, and the jailer comes in, and the jailer's confronted, and there's this big conversation. Paul and Silas were living as James described. They experienced great trouble. Not only great trouble, but it was a great injustice for they were both Roman citizens and everything that took place should not have had to take place. If it were you and I, we would have maybe been out protesting, but instead of protesting, they're filled with the Spirit. Their lives are controlled by the Spirit. The Spirit is at work within them, bringing forth fruit. And so... They get to see with great joy all that God wants to do, all that God wants to transpire in the life of this woman, in the life of the jailer, in the life of many others within Philippi. There is much that they could not control. But what they could control was controlled by the Spirit who was at work within them, who was transforming them. And the fruit of the Spirit was meeting the trouble of the day with God's transforming grace. You might say, and I might say, well, okay, Paul and Silas, they were saints. And there are other saints among us. But can we all live that kind of way? Can we all have a sense of self-control that is, that is directed by the Holy Spirit? Well, let's take a look at somebody else who wasn't a saint, but became one of the first Christian saints ever. You may not know him by this name, but Christian tradition calls this saint Dismas. He goes as an unnamed person in the Gospel of Luke. He's one of the criminals that's crucified next to Jesus. Luke describes these two criminals, and Christian tradition names them as Dismas and Gestus. They were on crosses next to Jesus. Gestus scoffed and begged, If you're the Son of God, prove it. Come down and take both of us with you. But Dismas was at a different place. He was at a place of remorse and confession. And he said, after hearing Gestus speak, he said, Don't you fear God? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Dismas, upon the cross, didn't have any control. He didn't have any agency. The brevity of his life was pressing upon him. But there was one thing he could choose in that moment. He could choose his attitude. 
he could choose his final request. He chose to ask for mercy. And mercy, he got mercy from God himself, from the divine, from Jesus. He got mercy. In that moment, he had an ounce of self-control provided by the spirit that was present in the moment. In Jesus' conversation with his group of friends, right before he's arrested and goes to the cross, he talks with them about many things in the Gospel of John. And one of the metaphors that he picks up and he places in front of them is something that they'd seen often. It was the metaphor of the vine and the branches. And Jesus described himself as the vine and his followers as the branches. And Jesus said this, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Self-control or any of the fruits that Paul describes are virtues that we can strive for, we can work for. They're virtues that we can work on. In fact, the spiritual disciplines can be of great help to us. Spiritual disciplines like fasting or like keeping the Sabbath, they help us have a sense, a greater sense of self-control because they make us have boundaries and make decisions about certain things. And those all feed into that ability to have some self-control. But the self-disciplines themselves and the virtues by themselves, if they are apart from Christ, they can become an end into themselves. But with Christ, with Christ, they become life-giving. When they're embedded in Christ, when we abide in Christ, we don't have to strain, we don't have to grit our teeth. We can find self-control that is life-giving and fruitful and something that is beyond our own strength or power. Self-control, the kind that is imagined by the scriptures, goes well beyond a virtue. It's life-giving and blessing because it opens up our lives and our hearts to the person of Jesus and the life-creating work of the Holy Spirit. To be open, to have this kind of self-control happen within us, well, it takes place when these moments of clarity come in our lives, much like it did in the life of Dismas, or maybe like it did in, in the lives of Paul and Silas, when everything around them said they were out of control and maybe they should lash out, they turned to the Lord in prayer and song. For when we abide in Him, the fruit of the Spirit can grow within us. It can grow that which we need, if it's self-control or love or joy or any of the other spirits. When we abide in Him, and how do we abide? We abide when we worship. We abide when we spend time in silent devotion. We abide when we attend to the sacraments. We abide when we take up Christian conversation. We abide in Him when we attend to the things that He attends to, to the children and the poor. So today, I have a couple of simple questions for you. Where do you lack self-control in your life? Where are you out of control? There are two simple prayers that can begin to open our hearts and our lives to the Spirit growing this work of self-control within us. The first prayer goes something like this. 
Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. It's asking the Lord, much like Dismas did, to come close to us, have mercy. The second prayer goes something like this. Holy Spirit, come and lead me. Show me your ways. If you are looking for the spiritual fruit, the fruit of the spirit of self-control, I encourage you today to say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Or to say, Holy Spirit, come and lead me. Show me your ways. Kind Father, we give you thanks for the gifts of the Spirit that are at work within us and that you want to grow within us. Take us as we are. Bless us. Conform us into the image of Christ and use us for your good, for your glory, and the good of the world around us and your goodness in us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.